1: Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. Have you ever asked yourself the question, who is Jesus or what does it mean to be saved? How about questions like, what is eternity? Or is there a real God and where is he when I'm really suffering? These are just some of the topics we explore every day on this program. In these challenging times, we believe that God's word is the source to all our answers. So if you can, get out your Bibles. And let's join Pastor Dudley right now with his message for us today.
2: Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. I want to take you back all the way back to the year 586 B.C. And if I could just lift you out of the seat that you're sitting in and place you back in Nehemiah's day... You would be shocked to know that the same things we're dealing with today, they were dealing with 2,600 years ago. Now, here's what happened. The Babylonians, under the great King Nebuchadnezzar, traveled to Jerusalem, and the Babylonians captured Jerusalem. They destroyed the city. They destroyed the temple. And for many, many years, the Jews were held in captivity in Babylon, After about 50 years, Persia captured Babylon. And they had a king named King Cyrus. They called him Cyrus the Great. At least that's what he told people to call him. And so for 50 years, the Jews were underneath the thumb of the Babylonians, and now they're underneath the thumb of the Persians under King Cyrus. Now, King Cyrus was an unusually kind and humane ruler. In his first year of reign, he issues a decree and he allows some Jews to go back all the way to their home, to Jerusalem, to begin to rebuild their city and rebuild their temple. There were several kings that came and left. And by the time you get to the book of Nehemiah, the king of Persia, his name is King Artaxerxes. But I want you to write this down. The year 455 BC, during the era of King Artaxerxes, Jews have been living over here in Babylon, Persia, for 130 years, is when Nehemiah comes into the scene. Nehemiah is a Jew. That was born in exile, technically a Jewish slave, never been to Jerusalem. But just like some other Jews that had gone before him, like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Mordecai and Esther, Nehemiah, as a slave, he rose to a position of influence in the midst of a foreign land. One day, something occurs that will change Nehemiah's life forever. Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, suggests that Nehemiah was strolling outside the palace of Artaxerxes one evening when some travel-weary men passed him on the way into the city, and conversing together in the Hebrew language, Forgetting all about Artaxerxes' supper, Nehemiah eagerly inquired about the plight of his fellow countrymen and about Jerusalem itself. And here's how Hanani answers his question. Look at verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile, the Jewish remnant, they are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. He says they're discouraged, they're disgraced, the people are not good. And as for the second part of your question, he says, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. He says the city is in ruins. It's a mess. The gates are burned. There's no defense for the people. Overall, Hanani says, it's just bad. Everything is bad. He says the people are broken and the walls are broken. And look what the Bible says in verse 4. Nehemiah said, when I heard these things about the people in the place, he said, I sat down and I what? I wept. Oh, I want you to write these four expressive responses down. I want you to see when Nehemiah hears about the people and their brokenness and their discouragement, and he hears about the walls that have been, that are still not rebuilt that he weeps, that he mourns, that he fasts, and he prays. When he hears that report, that is the response of his heart. Now, the question is, why did he respond with such emotion? Well, you see, for Nehemiah and for thousands of Jews, hundreds of thousands of Jews that live around the world back then, and even today, Jerusalem is clearly the most important place in the entire world. Now you say, well, why, why is that? Well, it was their homeland. This, uh, even today, if you go over there, you will see it. It, it is. It's, it's like no other place in the world. And it began with the scriptures that the Jewish people had memorized the book of Psalms. Now, just read through them, and you can see how much Jerusalem mattered to the Jewish people, especially after it was destroyed. And they were carried off into captivity. They couldn't help think about their homeland. Nehemiah had this psalm again in his heart. All he had done is read these psalms and read these stories about Jerusalem over and over again. And so one day he's out in front of the palace of King Artaxerxes. He's still a slave. He's a cupbearer. But he's working in the household of the king. And he sees a man walking who had just come back from Jerusalem, Hanani, and he said, they were talking, and where have you been? I, I just came from Jerusalem. And he says, Hanani, tell me what it's like. What are, what are, what's going on? What are the people like? What's the city like? And Hanani says, oh, Nehemiah, you won't believe it. The, the walls of the city are completely destroyed. The temple is still not rebuilt. And, and, and he says, Nehemiah, he said, the people are discouraged. The people are broken. And when Nehemiah hears this, he weeps and he mourns and his heart is broken. He fasts and he prays. He has to pray. There's nothing else he can do but Pray. He's still a slave living there in a foreign land. It's very, very significant that when he hears of the brokenness of the people and the brokenness of the the place called Jerusalem, that his very first priority is prayer. Oh, it goes without saying that there are many broken walls in our lives today. Many of us, the, the walls of marriage are broken down. We have walls in our businesses that are broken down, in our finances, in our nation, The most important thing you can do when walls need to be repaired is to get down on your knees and pray and call upon the name of the Lord Almighty. We see his concern. We see the emotion of his heart. But I want to show you the essence of his prayer. This must have been a pretty good prayer. Because when he prays the prayer, it's a God, God moves heaven and earth to answer this prayer. So it must have been a pretty good prayer. How many of you would like to, when you pray, to move heaven and earth? How many of you would like, when you pray, just heaven and earth just moves? Well, there's three things you need in a heaven-moving prayer. Number one, write this down. A heaven-moving prayer involves praise. Nehemiah chapter 1. Verse five, then I prayed, everybody say, then I, or then I said, and here's his prayer. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps, he's a promise keeper. He keeps his covenant of love. He's a God of love. He's a God who keeps his promises with those who love him and who obey his commands. This prayer is, It begins as all prayers should begin by recognizing the greatness of God and giving him the praise that is due him. That's how all prayers should begin, which tells me that no matter how bad things get in your life, and some of you are going through a rough time right now, no matter how bad things are in your life, there are still reasons why you can praise God. Often our prayers are what we call Polly wants a cracker. Polly wants a cracker prayer. We go to God with our shopping list of all the things that we want. Dear God, I want, I want, I want. Polly wants a cracker. Polly wants a cracker. In fact, some of you, when you pray, you might as well just say, Polly wants a cracker. Why don't you stop going to God and just asking him for things and instead go to God in prayer for the purpose of praising him and saying to him, God, you are an awesome God. You are a God of love. You are a God who keeps his word. God, you are a mighty, mighty God. Because anytime you're going through a tough time, if you can get your eyes off your problems and just focus on God, your problems become manageable. And isn't that what we're doing in church today? Aren't we here today to get our focus off the pandemic, and off of the economy, and off of politics, and off the difficulties of life, and just we came here today to focus on the Lord, and to worship Him, and to love Him, and to praise Him, and to adore Him, and to worship Him? But secondly, heaven-moving prayer involves, and nobody wants to talk about this, but heaven-moving prayer involves confession. And I have to tell you this, and this, 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 I I didn't tell you this earlier, but do you remember when I said Nehemiah was out in front of the palace and he sees Hanani who just came back from Jerusalem? He said, tell me, how's things? How's the people? And Hanani goes, oh, the people are broken. The walls are broken. And then Nehemiah's response was that he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. Do you remember remember that story? Well, what I didn't tell you was one of the reasons why he was weeping and he was mourning and fasting and praying. It wasn't just because the people were broken. And it wasn't just because the walls were broken. The reason for his response was that he knew that that was the result of the sin of the nation of Israel that the people were were struggling with. It was the sins that they had committed when he recognized that God had brought this devastation and allowed this devastation to happen to his own city is when he began to weep and began to pray, began to mourn. You say, how do you know that? Well, because of what he says next in verse six and seven in his prayer, after he worships God, he says these words, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He says, I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you, O God. And we have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws that you gave your servant Moses. I probably need a whole sermon just on that point. But, you know, usually when you pray and you talk to God and you thank him for being who he is, eventually you've got to get around to the sin that's in your life. And none of us, including myself, we don't want to do that. So what we do is we just stop praying. That's, that's really why most of you don't pray. It's not because you don't have anything to say. You have a lot to say. You just don't want to be honest before God. And you know, as I know, the hypocr- hypocrisy of talking to God and acting like he doesn't know the sin that's in my God knows everything that's in our hearts and what he wants as we're his children he just wants us he already knows he's already forgiven you he's already he's already forgiven you he already knows you can't hide anything from him but he wants you to be honest. he wants to have an honest relationship with you I have three children God's got I told you last week there are 2.5 billion people that are saved. All of those 2.5 billion people are saying, Polly want a cracker, Polly want a cracker, give me this, give me this. That's all he hears all day long. I have three children. Thousands of times they come to me and just ask me, Dad, can I have Dad, can I have Dad, can I have this, Dad? How many of you have children? Mm-hmm. Not one time! Have any of my three children come to me say, "Dad, I just want you to know you are like the greatest dad in the whole world. You're awesome, Dad. And Dad, I need to be honest with you. I've done some things that I know would not be would not be pleasing to you. I just want to confess. My children have your children never done that." Imagine how God must fill 2.5 billion of us who say we're his sons and daughters, yet all we do is ask, we never come to him in humility and in contriteness and in, in, in just pour out our heart and in, in, in ask him to forgive us for the times that we have failed him. You know what America needs now more than ever before? America needs God's people to repent and to turn to God. That's what this nation needs. There there is no doubt in my mind that all the chaos and all the lawlessness and all the division in this country is due to America turning its back on Almighty God. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Second Chronicles 714, God said, if my people, my people called by my name, if God's people will just simply humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, God says, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's what we need. I suppose. Some of you think we need better politicians. Anybody? Just a couple of you think that? I suppose that some of you wish we had a COVID 19 cure. A couple of you? Yeah, you want that, don't you? We want cheaper gas cheaper housing, cheaper electricity, better schools, better jobs. But what we need most is for God's people to get down on their knees and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways. That's what we need most. And as we close, write this down, heaven-moving prayer involves a bold petition at the end of praising God and at the end of confessing and being honest and open before God, he then is eligible to ask God and to be bold with God. He says in the last verse of chapter 1, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today. By granting him favor in the presence of this man, I was cupbearer to the king. He's still a slave. It's still been 130, 140, 150 years since Jerusalem was destroyed. He was a slave yesterday. He's going to be a slave today. He's going to be a slave tomorrow. But he says... Lord, I am going I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ask. I'm going to go ask the king something. I need you to and I need you to grant me favor when I go stand before the king. And guess what? You'll find this out. God answers his prayer. And what's the point for us? The point for us is that you and I need to be on our knees praying to an almighty God, giving him the glory, the due, the praise, the worship that is due to him. And then, in humility, we should seek forgiveness. We should weep. We should weep when we see the lawlessness in our streets. We should weep when we understand that babies are being aborted we should weep anytime there's any kind of racial injustice we should weep anytime sin creeps into our life when we see so many people mocking god and 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 not honoring god and not revering god we should weep we should pray we should confess we should humble ourselves before god and seek his forgiveness And after he sees us in that state, I believe you can ask God whatever you want to ask him. If you're living a life that's revering his name, God, listen, God wants to bless you. He wants to bless this church. He wants to work through you. He wants to work through me. He wants to work through this church. He wants to rebuild these cities. He wants to rebuild marriages. He wants to rebuild lives. God wants wants favor. And, And listen, you can ask, you can boldly go and ask God anything you want. If you're living a life like Nehemiah, where you're truly honoring God and truly broken over the sins of this nation, and that the request that you have will bring honor and glory to God. Let me tell you something. God's going to answer those prayers all day long. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the creator God of this universe. And thank you for creating us in your image. I, I just, it's just hard to imagine that you've placed us here on this earth and given us complete freedom. And with that freedom, we have what's called the freedom of choice, that we can either honor you or not honor you. We can either run to you or we can run from you. You give us that choice. Your desire, of course, is to use us. Your desire, of course, is to work through us, to lift up Christ before this lost and dying world. You know, I look at this prayer of Nehemiah. He confessed his sins, but he also confessed the sins of his father and the generation before him. I would say that we have a lot of confessing that needs to take place in this, in this nation, but it begins with those of us who are saved, those of us who know you, those of us who are by your grace. We are a part of your family. And God, I want to thank you just for loving us and for forgiving us and Thank you for Nehemiah and his transparency, where he saw the condition of the people and saw the condition of Jerusalem, and his heart just broke. He knew that a lot of that was due to the sins of the people, and he wants to be a part of the solution. He wants to be a part of rebuilding. He wants to be a part of the blessing. And I ask God today that you would help us as we go through this book, that we would see this as it was written, God, that you would burden us for this world and for our city and for our people, for our countrymen, and that you would help us be a part of the solution. I ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said,
1: It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. 4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. Deep in the heart of every believer, there's a faint whisper, a call, a prompting. We go about our business and we hear it. We see and interact with lost people every day, and the whisper echoes again for us to share our faith and tell others about Jesus. And yet, we still resist. In his latest book, Compelled, Pastor Dudley Rutherford shares his earnest desire for each and every believer to be equipped with the good news of salvation. He encourages you with inspiring stories of men and women, young and old, who have accepted the irresistible call to share Jesus with everyone they meet and he provides practical methods to overcome your fears and effectively articulate the message of salvation. Thousands of readers have already taken advantage of this incredible book, and now it's here for you. Compelled, the irresistible call to share your faith can be yours right now for a gift of $15 or more to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. It's as easy as calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also get Compelled, The Irresistible Call to Share Your Faith on our website, liftupjesus.com. Our address again is liftupjesus.com. Discover for yourself the strength that awaits inside you to speak boldly to others of how Jesus Christ has changed your life forever. Don't hesitate. Call us right now and get your copy of Pastor Dudley's latest book, Compelled, The Irresistible Call to Share Your Faith today. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us tomorrow at the same time as we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.